And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yo, yo, welcome to another episode of the Forum Club. I'm your host, Yovan Buha, Lakers beat writer for The Athletic. And on this week's episode, I want to take stock of the Lakers roster heading into the offseason, which players should be back, which players could be back, which players shouldn't be back, and what holes the Lakers will have to fill this offseason. This is a story I just wrote up this week on The Athletic, so you can check it out on theathletic.com or the Athletic app. But I also wanted to touch on it here with the podcast and give you guys more uh, fleshed out thoughts and and really kind of dive into some of this stuff. So obviously big changes are coming for the Lakers this offseason after arguably the most disappointing season in franchise history. By opening night, they will have a new coach and for the fourth straight season, a brand new supporting cast around LeBron and AD. They have over half their roster hitting free agency, somewhere between 7 to 12 free agents, depending on player and team options. And they have several important decisions to make about the team's direction and identity. They will officially have three players under contract heading into the offseason. LeBron, who's making $44.5 million. AD, who's making just under $38 million and THT, who's making $10.3 million. But there are another five guys who will likely be under contract. You got Russ and his $47.1 million player option, which I assume he will pick up. I think he would be foolish not to. Kendrick Nunn, who also has a player option for $5.3 million. He already said at his exit interview that he's going to pick that up. So add Kendrick Nunn and Russ to the list. And then the Lakers have three players with team options. Stanley Johnson, 2.4 million. Wanyan Gabriel, uh, Gabriel, excuse me, 1.9 million. And Austin Reeves at 1.6 million. I expect the Lakers to retain all three of those guys. Uh, I think that they all contributed well last season. They're all relatively young. And I think considering the Lakers' limited financial resources to improve the roster, all three guys make sense. Stanley and Austin. I think could be rotation players next. I mean, I think Austin will be a rotation player next year. Stanley could be depending on who else they sign. And then Wenyan, I think is fine as like a fourth or fifth big. So I think realistically, the Lakers will have eight guys going into the offseason: Russ, LeBron, AD, THT, Kendrick Nunn, Stanley, Wenyan, and Austin. That gives them a projected depth chart of a starting group of AD, LeBron, Stanley, Austin and Russ with Kendrick, THT, and Wenyan off the bench. I have it slotted as 80 as their only center, LeBron at power forward, Wenyan backing him up, Stanley at small forward, no one backing him up, Austin at shooting guard, THT backing him up, and then Russ at point guard and Kendrick Nunn backing him up. And I, of course, this is a rough projection. There's the obvious addendum that multiple guys can play multiple positions. AD can play center and power forward. LeBron can play any position. 
Stanley can play technically either forward spot or even some small ball five. Wenyan could play power forward or center. Austin could play either wing spot. THD could play either wing spot. Kendrick could play either backcourt spot, et cetera, et cetera. So th- there is some versatility here, but for depth chart purposes, I want to slot everybody in their more proper uh, positions. I think the first thing to me that stands out from looking at this depth chart and, and just taking stock of what the Lakers currently have, uh, they have needs just about everywhere. Uh, but to me, the, the greatest need from a skill standpoint is clearly shooting as this is a subpar collection of three-point shooters. Uh, LeBron James and Kendrick Nunn are the only two above average sh- shooters on this team. Uh, you know, AD, Stanley Johnson, Wendell Gabriel, Austin, Talon, Russ, like those are, that's a bad collection of shooters. So uh, of course, not all these guys will be on the team next season. I, I expect the Lakers to trade Russ and move on from him. But, you know, uh, aside from that, like most of these guys could be on the team next year. And assuming they are, the Lakers are going to have to fill in the rest of the roster with three-point shooting. I think from a position standpoint, assuming the Lakers trade Russ, they will need a starting level point guard replacement. That could be Kendrick Nunn, depending on what happens with him, if they end up keeping him or they end up flipping him in the Russ deal or a separate deal with THT. Uh, But they they need to get a starting level point guard back. Uh, They also need a non-Davis center on the roster, uh, be it a backup or a starter if if they want to go back to the two big lineups. I don't think they should do that, but I do think obviously they're going to need at least one more traditional seven footer backing up AD. They need a better starting level small forward, which to me is the biggest need for this roster uh, it is signing, you know, using the, the taxpayer mid-level exception of about $6.3 million to add a quality three and D wing that could start at the two or the three, preferably the three, uh, preferably defend multiple positions like two through four and then shoot 35, 36% on threes at a minimum. And then I think they need some versatile depth and size in the backcourt and on the wings. I think this group already looking at it, uh, you know, Russ is is big for a point guard, but we know defensively isn't always uh, interested in defending at a high level. Kendrick Nunn is, you know, six feet, six one. Austin Reeves is six five. THT is six four. Stanley Johnson, six five. Uh, so already your perimeter guys are, are on the smaller side. Wenyan's about 6'9", so even your backup big is on the smaller side. And then you're going LeBron and AD, which fine size-wise for, for power forwards and centers. Like You're looking more there with their um, excuse me, their, their speed and their athleticism and kind of leveraging that. And it doesn't really matter for those two you know, size-wise that they're going to be fine against anybody. So I think if, if you're the Lakers, like you, know, you, you have limited trade assets, you have limited financial resources, and your only means of upgrading are a potential Westbrook trade, a separate deal with THT or Kendrick Nunn, uh, your 2027 and 2029 first round picks, and the taxpayer mid-level exception, along with a slew of veteran minimum contracts. Expect many of those again next season. So let's get into who should return, who could return, and who shouldn't return. So I'm going to go through basically all 15 guys that were on the roster to end the season. In the who should return portion, I think it's it's rather straightforward. LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Austin Reeves, Stanley Johnson, Wenyan Gabriel. The only two untouchables for the Lakers are LeBron and AD. It's a no-brainer. LeBron is still a top five player. 
AD to me is still a top 15 player. I think anyone else can be moved in an attempt to upgrade the roster, but everything the Lakers do from a roster construction perspective should be about maximizing the fit around their two superstars. As for Reeves, Johnson, and Gabriel, again, they're on cheap team-friendly contracts. It would be foolish not to keep them. Ideally, the Lakers can bolster their depth and feature those three in smaller roles than they were in this past season. But I also think there's a chance that Reeves and Johnson have the potential to grow into bigger and, and more valuable roles, at least in, in, on a contender, right? Uh, you know, if they can progress as spot up shooters and secondary playmakers. And you saw that from both guys. I thought both guys really impressed as secondary playmakers, guys who could attack closeouts and, and drive and, you know, drive and kick, drive and finish, uh, you know, drive and, re- and reset the offense. Uh, and, you know, Stanley has always been a shaky shooter. And that's kind of the one part of his game that really separates him, I think, from being a, you know, an ironclad rotation player versus not. Uh, and Austin had a good start to the season as a shooter and regressed throughout the year and ended up shooting about 31, 32%. So I think for both guys, their shooting and their playmaking are really what are going to determine how much time they end up playing on next year's team. But I think both guys have, have certain tools with Austin. It's a bit, you know, Jack of all trades. He can do a little bit of everything with Stanley. It's obviously his defense, his energy, his effort, his athleticism uh, that I think is really valuable. So I don't know if either guy is a starter. I know I have them pegged currently as starters on uh, the current depth chart, but I think looking at next year's group, they're more like eighth, ninth, 10th guys on next year's team. Uh, but those five, I think, make up who should return. They give you the foundation of your two superstars, your two top 15 guys, and then you have three cheaper guys who at least two of them can plug into the rotation more so toward, toward the, you know, the end of the bench or, or the end of the rotation. Uh, but I think all three guys can play if needed. Uh, so I think that to me is a solid foundation. I mean, you would like to have probably a couple more starters and, and maybe a six man type to, you know, kind of entering the offseason. But I think most teams would take the problem of having LeBron James and Anthony Davis on their roster. I know that it, you know it was not the best combination this past season, and you know I've talked about it on the podcast. They had a negative net rating together for the first time in their three years together, but uh, I'm confident that that's going to be different next season, especially if this guy. Uh, well, if Russell, we'll, we'll get to the who shouldn't return. Uh, I spoke too soon, but if Russell Westbrook is not on the team, I suspect LeBron and AD's on court net rating will be better. Uh, but. Let's take a quick break and then let's get into who could return. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. <laughs> 
All right, let's get into who could return, which to me is Malik Monk, THT, Kendrick Nunn, Carmelo Anthony, Dwight Howard, and DJ Augustine. Now, this list is so long because the Lakers team building approach could go in a number of ways. They've been somewhat unpredictable the past few off seasons, to say the least. And while it's unlikely most of these players are back, odds are at least a couple of them will return. Malik, to me, is the Lakers top free agent. Despite them pursuing him the last couple trade deadlines and their obvious satisfaction with his breakout season, there are a couple of roadblocks to Malik staying in LA. The first one is money. The Lakers can only offer him their taxpayer mid-level exception, which again is worth approximately $6.3 million annually. And while there is a chance that is enough to re-sign Malik, he's going to command league-wide interest and he could earn a multi-year contract as high as $10 million annually. I would not be surprised if he ends up signing something like a three-year, $30 million deal. I think teams around the league are going to look at him as a potential you know, future sixth man of the year in that Lou Williams, Jamal Crawford mold. I think he can grow into that. A guy who's 6'2", 6'3", you know, athletic, quick, instant offense off the bench, bit of a defensive liability. You're going to close with him in some matchups. You're not going to close with him in other matchups. And I think they're the most likely outcome to me is Malik gets a payday elsewhere with a team that just pays him more than the Lakers can offer. Uh, the second one to me is that the Lakers have greater needs elsewhere on their roster with the team coveting more size, length, and athleticism on the wing. While I think Malik complimented LeBron well and even AD, uh, and I, again, I think there is a place for him on this team and there's a place for his future role, I think, of being a six man of the year candidate, he still is an undersized shooting guard who's a defensive liability. And he did improve under Frank Vogel. And I think he deserves credit for that. But he, to me, is still a guy I don't know if you can trust in big moments in a contending situation. And, you know, I could be wrong. We haven't seen it from him. He's always been on lottery level teams or, you know, low playoff teams. But I would like to see Malik in a contending situation, which again could be with the Lakers next season. But I would like to see kind of those high stakes moments, kind of what that's like, because there were games where the Lakers had to close with him and I think he did fine. But I think looking at the way like the Celtics and the Nets were playing or, you know, just going down the list of some of these high, you know, Nuggets and Warriors and Timberwolves and Grizzlies, like, seeing that having a defensive liability out there can be so destructive to your defense and you could play great defense for 20 seconds, but those last four seconds are ruined by having a guy who can be targeted like that to me is a concern with, with re-signing Malik. So it's certainly possible that the Lakers strike out on their top wing targets and end up re-signing him. But to me, the, the most likely scenario is he gets a bigger deal for a larger role with another team and the Lakers end up using their taxpayer MLE on a bigger wing. And I've talked about some of those guys. I think Robert Covington, Nicholas Batum, Otto Porter Jr. Uh, that you know, uh, Those are some names that, that come to mind that I, I think would help. P.J. Tucker, though he does have a player option for about $7.3 million, so he'd have to turn down money. I don't see that happening. But I think the Lakers have to look for those types of guys. And, and even some of those guys, Batum, Covington, they're probably going to make more than, than 6.3. Uh, I think Otto Porter is in a good situation in Golden State. Maybe he wants to stay there. But I think those are the types of guys of that caliber that the Lakers should be targeting. Add that guy to your front court, uh, you know, roll with maybe uh, 
you know, Kendrick or, or a point guard you get in a rust trade, you know, Austin Reeves, that free agent and LeBron and AD. And I think you have something there with your starting group. Uh, or maybe you do the Indiana trade and you end up getting Malcolm Brogdon, Buddy Heald. Those two can start in the backcourt uh, with, again, free agent X starting on the wing and then LeBron and AD at the four and the five. That to me is the start of a good starting lineup. And then you, you kind of fill in your bench there and hopefully sign a, a or add a coach that uh, is more modern and, and creative and, and can kind of maximize both the offense and the defensive end. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Now, THT and, and Kendrick Nunn are listed here and not in the who should return section, despite them technically being on next year's roster, because they're the Lakers' only two mid-sized contracts. And it's unclear how much value they each have. I think both players' trade values took considerable hits in 2021-2022. THT, I think, has been a polarizing figure really since since his second season, but, but kind of since he started to get some buzz, he's been a polarizing figure. Some people look at... The, the shooting and the defense and the frame and see potential. And some people look at it and, and see a guy who, uh, you know, might be a, a good stats, bad team guy. But, but even then, once you kind of figure out he's always driving into the paint, you, you can kind of figure that out and he doesn't have many counters. And I think to THC's credit, he developed a bit of a mid-range jump shot. Uh, he improved as a, a, you know, w- with his floater game. And I think he did develop some counters this season that he didn't necessarily have last season, but he's still a subpar shooter. He's still inconsistent defensively. And I think he clearly has not lived up so far to his, uh, you know, 10 plus million uh, annually that the Lakers are paying him. And so I, I think some people, again, might look at him and be like, hey, he's 21. We could fix his jump shot. We, we see the, the playmaking and scoring potential that he has. He does have a, a long wingspan and, and we can make the most uh, of his defensive potential and, and figure that out. Uh, so you know, there might be some player development staffs that look at that and, and think they could fix THT. But I, I think the Lakers have a solid player development staff. Um, you know, we have seen progress from, from young guys with them throughout the years. So I, I would say that I don't, you know, I, I think the, the, you know, be, the, the value is in the eye of the beholder uh, with, with THT and he's still only 21. So th- there are, I think teams that will be interested in him, but I don't think his contract is viewed as a positive contract. I think you really have to be sold on his potential. And then with Kendrick Nunn, he's coming off an injury where, uh, you know, this bone bruise kept about the entire season. And, uh, you know, anytime you miss a year for something minor or, or major, there always is concern entering that next season. Now, I do think a bone bruise is something that should fully heal in most cases. And, you know, I don't think will be a recurring thing, but you, you never know. And then even then with Kendrick Nunn, uh, you know, I think maybe it's a, a slight discount to come to the Lakers at, at the taxpayer MLE last summer. But I think, you know, he, he still is a, he, I think he's a high level backup, but I don't, again, like high level backup point guards coming off of missing an entire season, like your trade value is a little murky. So I think with both guys, it's unclear where their value is currently at. 
But if the Lakers are going to strike a trade this summer, it will likely include one or both players. That's just how trades work. You need some mid-sized contracts in there. And if the Lakers are not trading LeBron and they're not trading AD, obviously Russ is on the table. But really the only other movable contracts they have are THT and Kendrick Nunn. So I, I do expect that one or both will be moved this offseason. And, and you know, I, I think that that's the way things are headed. So that's why I have them here in the who could return versus the who should return, even though both guys technically are returning as things currently stand. Now, Mello to me sounded like a guy who had played his last game as a Laker during his exit interview. I was there. He spoke to us before the final game of the season in Denver. Uh, but to me, his offensive success as a Laker, you know, I think he picked up where he he left off in, in Portland, especially the first couple of months, what was really playing at a high level uh, his close friendship with LeBron and his love of LA. He's got business ventures. He's got things off the court. Uh, that to me might be enough to keep him with the purple and gold, but he is soon to be 38. And to me, I don't think the Lakers can feature or, or, or promise him a similar role next season to the one that he had this season, where he was essentially the sixth, seventh guy, uh, you know, one of the first couple guys off the bench. Like, I don't know if you can rely on 38-year-old Carmelo Anthony, who's going to be a year older, a year slower defensively, uh, more of a liability defensively. So the role could be an issue because I still think Melo, despite him accepting he's not a starter, despite him accepting he's no longer a a superstar level player, I think that ego is kind of always there. And you could still kind of see it with with some of his answers and and the way he kind of just carries himself and and talks about his game. Uh, I I think some of that's still there with Melo. And for me... I think I like if he's willing to be the 10th or 11th guy and, and you know, 11th, 12th, kind of the Markeith Morris role from a couple years ago. And it's like, Hey, some nights you're going to play 15 to 20 minutes. Some nights you're going to be a DNP CD. Like we don't know. It's really matchup dependent. Are you willing to do that? You know, if, if he's willing to do that, I, I would be interested in that. If he's not, then I think the Lakers have to move on as far as Dwight Howard and DJ Augustine. I think with Dwight, he has some value as a rebounding and rim protecting third string center. He's obviously familiar with the Lakers, uh, has now uh, had multiple stints with them, uh, but he's no longer an every night option. So I don't think if, if you do sign him, I don't think you're signing him to be your backup center. I think you're you're signing him to be your third string center. But Dwight is a guy who, breaking case of emergency, can give you some value. And I think the same could be said for DJ Augustine. He's probably better. Uh, he's probably more you know, closer to a, a backup point guard level than a third string point guard level, but it's close. And uh, you know uh, what I like about him is his spot up shooting. He's a guy who is an elite shooter. And I think that allows him to function in different lineups where maybe you go with more of a, a ball handling, playmaking uh, shooting guard or, or wing and play DJ off the ball as a shooter. But the problem with him, of course, is his defense and his size. You know, he's five foot ten, and he's a, a massive defensive liability. So he's not a guy you can close games with. But the Lakers shouldn't be closing games with DJ Augustine. If they're closing games with DJ Augustine, there there are bigger problems next season. So uh, DJ to me is someone that is in the who uh, could return, and I could see him being the backup point guard next year. Uh, you know, I, I guess if. If they replace Russ with a point guard and, and you have Kendrick Nunn, you know, maybe not. Maybe he's more of a third string. And I think that's probably the more appropriate slotting of where he should be. But I think the Lakers could go in a variety of, of ways there. Uh, and then finally, who shouldn't return? Uh, this list is going to be fun. Uh, for me, it is Russell Westbrook, Avery Bradley, Wayne Ellington, and Kent Bazemore. 
The Rust Dilemma is straightforward. I've talked about it ad nauseum on here. I've talked about talking about it ad nauseum on here. I've talked about talking about talking about like we could go on and on and on and play the Rust game. It's a topic every podcast. He's regressed and he has not accepted his limitations. His fit alongside LeBron and AD was always awkward in theory, and it was even worse in reality. Uh, It's unclear how his style of play can translate to winning basketball in 2022, which is obviously the Lakers goal returning to winning basketball. Uh, I think Russ can put up big triple double, you know, esque numbers on a lottery or or low level East playoff team. But even that might be ambitious, uh, you know, too ambitious after the way he looked uh, as a Laker this past season. So to me, the Lakers need to move on and trade him this offseason. I suspect they will. And I do not expect Russell Westbrook to be back next season. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Avery Bradley, uh, one of the scapegoats of the Lakers season, I think Avery is passable in a limited role. I think there were some nights where he hit a few shots, he played good defense against someone, and some of the flack he caught uh, because of lineup data and different things, Like, I think it was a little unfair. Uh, now, I will say I'm definitely not an Avery guy. I don't think he should have been starting. I don't think he should have been closing. And, and that's where I, I put some of this on Frank Vogel, where I think his insistence on starting Bradley and closing games with him Expose his weaknesses, and and he was in over his head in a you know too large of a role than, than he should have been dealing with. And I think again, I understood where Frank was coming from to an extent, but Avery Bradley is a non-threat offensively, and he's actually be, he's you know he's an above-average three-point shooter. But defenses do not treat him like that; they just don't care. And that's why you'll see he'll, he'll get those random cut, you know, random back cuts and and you know wide open threes on the weak side because teams just aren't guarding him. Uh, and then his on-ball defense is solid, but it's always been overrated. Uh, you know, uh, defensive metrics have never painted him well. And I think he's a minus elsewhere defensively where he, he's not a great help guy. Uh, he can get lost around screens. He, he's not going to, you know, really, uh, you know, contest and, and alter shots in the paint. He's not much of a defensive rebounder. So I, I think, yes, he's, he can be good in that one specific role of pressuring on the ball and, and sticking with quicker guards. But I think he's lost some of his athleticism. He's not as quick as he used to be. And I really think his on-ball defense isn't as good as it used to be. So to me, like 
again, kind of if the Lakers want to bring him back as like a third string guy who is the 12th, 13th, 14th guy and, and you know, just doesn't really play, but they have him in the case that they need him in a specific matchup, like I could see it, but he's also a shooting guard who's the size of a point guard. And that to me makes him a tricky fit with most backcourt players. So I think the Lakers need to be adding more, again, size, length, athleticism on the wings. I'd be looking for guys that are 6'6 to 6'9. And again, you know, long, athletic, can get out in transition, can defend multiple positions. And, and you know, ideally some guys that you can put on guards or, or point guards the way that Avery can, but they can also play up and defend threes or fours. So to me, Avery still probably has a role in the league, but a very specific role. And it's not an every night role. And it's a, it's a very matchup specific role. If you know, you're getting shredded by a point guard and, and you want to throw him in there. But again, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta have the right surrounding personnel because I, I think he's also someone that if you don't have the right surrounding personnel, he's not going to cover some of those mistakes. And then finally, Wayne Ellington and Kent Bazemore, the two original candidates to start at shooting guard going into last season. Remember I, I was, I was team Ellington, although I eventually converted to team Bazemore, but I was wrong on both fronts, right? Like both guys were largely ineffective. I think they're both nearing the end of their respective careers. Both guys are in their mid thirties and with Ellington, he can still shoot. Although it, it's weird. He shot almost 39% as a Laker on threes. And it didn't feel like that to me. I know like, I feel like Wayne was the king of coming in uh, because the Lakers, you know, were, were starting, you know, playing a lot of their younger guys towards the end of the season, like Wayne and Kent kind of became the garbage time guys. And Wayne would come in and, and get hot and hit, you know, two, three, four threes. And that would probably boost his percentages. But like, it didn't feel like he shot 39% when it actually mattered. And then Kent, uh, I don't think was as disappointing as Frank Vogel and others made him out to be. Uh, I think, you know, regresses a three-point shooter and has the issues of, of fouling too much and the turnovers and, and the wild forays to the rim and, and all that stuff. But I thought Kent probably should have played more and should have stuck around in the rotation. Definitely better than Trevor Ariza. I, I think on a night-to-night basis, probably better than Avery Bradley. So like, I, but overall though, I think both guys kind of expressed their disappointment with the season, with their roles. I think both guys are looking to still be rotation guys. I don't think either guy would be a rotation guy on the theoretical 2022-23 uh, Lakers. So for that reason, I think the Lakers could, you know, should move on from them. I think they could fill out the back end of their roster with better players. Uh, but those are my thoughts on the 15 guys. Uh, again, to kind of recap, the nine guys under contract are Russ, or sorry, the eight guys, Russ, LeBron, AD, THT, Kendrick Nunn, Stanley, Wenyan, and Austin. The rest of the group are free agents. And I think among, uh, you know, the, so Le, I would say LeBron, AD, Austin, uh, Stanley, and Wenyan should return. Malik, THT, Kendrick, Mello, Dwight, and DJ Augustine could return. And then Russ, Avery Bradley, Wayne Ellington, Kent Bazemore shouldn't return. Uh, let me know what you guys think either on the article on The Athletic or on Twitter or TikTok. Uh, be sure. I, I'd love to hear your feedback on this. Um, you know, I know some of you have already commented on the story. Uh, I'll be sure to get back to you on there. But 
Thank you guys for listening. As always, I really appreciate it. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Yovan Buha. That's at J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. If you've not subscribed to this podcast yet, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to like and comment and subscribe. And then finally, last but not least, if you've not subscribed to The Athletic, you can do so by going to theathletic.com or downloading The Athletic app. Be sure to subscribe to the Lakers. And obviously, if you're listening to this, you're a Laker fan or you're a fan of me, hopefully, and you could you know, subscribe to my author page, but also be sure to subscribe off of one of my stories. Helps me out. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'll be back next week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.